Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope. And I'm your host, Rory Hearn, and I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by Mustafa Darwish. And Mustafa is an award-winning um, journalist, reporter, investigative journalist, um, and he's a reporter with the Irish Mirror and has just produced a series which is out at the moment on the Irish housing crisis. He's also had a award-winning investigation into direct provision um, and was the news brand Ireland Investigative Journalist of the Year 2020 and 2021. Mustafa, thanks so much for coming on Reboot Republic today. Thanks a million for having me, Rory. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, I'm delighted to be here. Cool. Listen, Mustafa, maybe you want to start with um, just let us know in terms of, uh, yeah, I suppose a bit about yourself and you're originally from Egypt and yeah, what you're doing in Ireland and <laughs> great to have you here. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, uh, as you mentioned, uh, my origin and uh, I, I mainly studied social work. Um, yeah. And I was doing photography, like just, uh, I was just doing photography, just uh, like as work to put the food on table when I was uh, studying uh, my undergrads in the Arab Spring started. Yeah. I document what's going on. Um, and um, that was, uh, my start was in August, 2011. Uh, since then, I, I stayed, with journalism uh, I, I got hired by uh, some uh, newspapers in Egypt uh, and I continued I uh, improved my skills to do multimedia to do writing uh, in 2019 I was living in Turkey uh, I got uh, I, like I got invitation to come to receive uh, international award from Thomason Foundation uh, in Ireland uh, since then, I'm staying in Ireland. I did my master uh, degree in journalism, and that was my first time to study proper journalism after like nine years of practicing it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I studied at uh, the University of Limerick, which uh, has helped me a lot to improve uh, my skills and to to gain more skills. Uh, so. Uh, that was that was it. Uh, and, and what was what? Because I remember at the time, um, the Arab Spring and the uprising, and of course, social media was a massive part of that at the time. What was it like being there in terms of, I suppose, being a journalist, but also, yeah, just the time. What was it like? Uh, it was like actually, the Arab Spring started from social media, and uh, it relied a lot on social media. You know, in that time like uh, especially facebook uh, and then twitter it was something really fresh i know that facebook was started in 20 uh, in 2004 but you know like people started to use it uh in egypt in in that time a lot and uh we were relying on uh, the pages that uh uh, we're calling people about the places of protests and etc etc it called uh, we are all Khalid Said. Khalid Said uh, is an uh, uh, Egyptian citizen who was killed by uh, by the police uh, just uh, a few months before that uh, before the Arab Spring. Mm. So um, 
uh, Egyptian activists uh, created uh, that page and they were calling people to, to protest. Uh, and this is how it started, actually. Uh, and everything we're, we're relying uh, on social media in that time, um, like like uh, new like the media publications, uh, everything as it is now. But in that time, this why it was very new. But we were like uh, it just moved the people to do everything. Mm. And what do you think is sort of big question? What did the Arab Spring achieve, and how do you think Egypt is now? Uh, I, I I don't I I wouldn't be I'm. I'm not a political a- analyst, as you know, but uh, well, just our... from your own experience, I'm not, <laughs> you know, just a sort of sense of LinkedIn, I suppose, to give us a sense of yeah, you know, where, where it's at now and what I suppose uh, what those movements, you know, can achieve or. Yeah, um, like I would say like Arab Spring, like what happened in Egypt, uh, at least um uh, Arab Spring, from my my own perspective, uh, I, I'm not going to talk about the country overall. The situation is is not great economically and uh, politically at the moment. Mm. Uh, um, it was going well until the, I would call it the military coup in 2013. Yeah, uh, especially that day. Um, uh, the massacre, the massacre in 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 2013. I think you know about that. I have yeah. with um, myself, and I have documented deaths of 800 uh, over more than 800 persons, and that was the must of day uh, in my life. Uh, it was going okay until until that until that day, but. Uh, from other perspective, uh, like from other side, uh, the Arab Spring uh, educated me a lot as a human being. It has improved me. Uh, it, I learned a lot about, I didn't know even the basic human rights. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Here. Like, I didn't know the right of protest. I didn't know uh, the right of calling for my my rights uh, before before the Arab Spring, like you know, despite in that time I was twenty one years old, but like you know, it is it was something very new. It, it educated me to try to understand and figure out what's going on in the world, etc., etc. Yeah, it's something always. Um, you know, the, the protests and social movements for progressive change, for human rights and for equality, often that's one of the, the, the things that it leaves, the, the biggest legacy it leaves is people who, you know, might have not, who might have not been politically active before, you know, get involved a bit and then they do, they realize, God, there's this whole, you know, the way we see the world or the way it's presented is not, you know, exactly how it is that people do have rights and that there's a power in coming together. And I think, you know that's something that that does it does leave yeah a lot of a lot of people like a lot of people uh have it changed a lot because of of the egyptian revolution and uh, arab spring yeah and just to uh to move on then in terms of i suppose we're going to go on and talk about the housing crisis just in terms of what 
you know, you have covered, as I said, you produced this documentary for the Irish Mirror and we're going to play a little clip of it um, shortly. But I just wanted to ask you to discuss first, um, you spent some time in direct provision and, and you covered that as well. Maybe you could just set out again, you know, I know our listeners would be quite familiar with direct provision and the issues, but maybe just your own experience and kind of what you found in, in your own documentary as well. Uh, like, uh, I believe, like, I think it was, uh, it was, uh, I didn't spend that long time in direct provision. I think it was like three months overall, but I, I got loads of, like, I learned a lot about what's going on inside. Uh, I, uh, like I noticed that the media is not covering it uh, properly at all. Um, like uh, especially, uh, I noticed that, for example, um, the suicides, the deaths in direct provision weren't weren't covered at all. Uh, the, like the last piece before I do my investigation was published as as uh, a quick report of. 250 words, I think, uh, yeah. about the deaths of asylum seeker. Uh, just a very basic news without even going uh, digging uh, in, uh, in, in, uh, in the reason of the deaths, etc., etc. It was like four years or three years before uh, I published mine. Mm. So, it, like... I noticed that, uh, like, uh, it was it was just produced to the media that uh, the issues going there about uh, the quality of food, etc., uh, etc. Et uh, nothing that has focused deeply about the mental health of asylum seekers that might lead to suicide or yeah. Yeah, about like I met, I have met some people who are stuck there for thirteen years, and um, they they have like I, I have like checked behind and like you know I I mean what is behind them and like before they they get into the provision they they even looked totally different. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was it was tough experience, especially that in that time, like uh, people have, like everyone has to stay for a long time without doing everything. Like you are just uh, stuck in 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 a room uh, with someone that you you don't know. Maybe someone with totally different background, different ideology. Uh, and you you might not have any common um, uh, any common subject to 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 discuss with. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, um, you have to stuck in this place without the right to study, without the right to work, without the right to to drive. To uh, even when you get the right to 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 to, to work. Um, uh, a big number of centers uh, are in the middle of nowhere, uh, without uh, easy access to 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 public transportation. Uh, so in that time, like uh, asylum seekers didn't have the the right to 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 get to access driving license. Mm. Uh, 
actually, I, I have noticed that now there are a lot of uh, improvements. Uh, still, things need to be done. Yeah. But, like, things have improved a lot at the moment. I, I was there in 2019. Um, and... Uh, Luckily, I, I I moved out before the pandemic. Uh, but imagine the people uh, who were there during the pandemic, and I have met them in person uh, while working on my investigation about suicide. Because I have I have I had in that time to meet people because it was very sensitive uh, project to work on. I can't do it just through phone calls. I yeah, had- yeah, of course. I was living in Limerick. I had to go to Monhan to, like, you know, to witness, to to meet people in person, to listen what happened, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I wouldn't work properly uh, virtually, you know. So it just uh, like you know, direct provision. Once the people here, um, like big number of like. <laughs> Just uh, when they hear about the world of asylum seeker, okay, benefit seeker, not everyone. I mean, like, yeah, not little number of of public, and that comes through media, unfortunately, because um, from what I see, um, the news that cover, okay, about the food quality, about some people asking, like to move to a better room, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, you know. Uh, but there are a lot of issues that going on and uh, it would have deserved to be covered uh, rather than like food quality and that. Yeah, I, I think it's it was, you know, such an important piece because in, in many ways it shows, you know, too often, you're in the, is presented not just in the media, but you know, in policy by government, by you know, there's you know, asylum seekers are presented as you know this problem, you know, and these as you know, th- there's all sorts of imagined ideas, you know, they're they're flooding in here, they're here to you know scam the system, and I think what you showed was you know the deeply destructive. Um, impact of even you know trying to seek asylum of being in there of you know this is not something that people just do to scam welfare this is you know people are fleeing systems of you know torture or repression or simply poverty you know or just you know that it is and and the way that we provide supports for them which we have you know under united nations obligations and and as fellow human beings of this planet have ethical obligations as well that what it does to them i think is so important that you know that that you know mental health impact i was really struck by it and i'm always struck by when you hear it makes you stop and listen and you really feel i think connection in a way that all that media presentation doesn't feel so i think that there was a real power in that um and that mental health aspect sorry yeah go on yeah no, no, uh, work away. Go ahead first, Zenai. No, no, no I, I just was going to ask you that. Yeah, that that mental health aspect. Were you even struck by how how impactful it is on people's mental health, like on, on their their sense of themselves? Well, I, you know, I I gonna talk about myself here. Uh, mm. Within within very like within two months, I realized that. Um, 
I know myself, I realized that I started to be aggressive to the people around me and uh, um, like two months within, uh, within two months of my staying there, uh, I started like to be like just like shouting at my friends that I met in the university, etc., yeah. etc., et it was it was huge impact and imagine imagine people who are living there for much longer than me um like imagine like you know it is just like people are like when you feel that you are fully excluded from the community mm. uh, when you when you even just go to get your um a weekly allowance from the post office uh, like it is it is just you know notable that to public those people who are coming to this post office that next to that direct provision are just coming here to get their 38 euros uh, you are excluded because you, you don't have the right to everything imagine like the previous story I did before the the suicide story was uh, was kind of uh, deep reporting about the right of uh, of opening a bank account. Imagine a human being can't open bank account. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Remember, I did that story. At, like it was personal experience before that but i applied the story i don't like to tell my personal stories and i think you noticed that in the suicide story um i like to tell other people's story mm. i have experienced this i like i remember when i was trying to open bank account and i was i went to there and uh, uh yeah we can't open bank account for you and i showed her okay how like this is the permission to work from the government. How I gonna use it? Like how I gonna work without bank account? <laughs> I don't know. I, I can't open bank account for you. As simple as this, you know. <laughs> and then when I show her the the EU directive uh, that obliges uh, all EU banks to open bank accounts for asylum seekers, yeah, uh, she tells me, yeah, I don't know, but I I'm not going to. <laughs> like, yeah. So and you you hear something different. Uh, I had to. I remember I had to go to translate for uh, for asylum seeker. It is just uh, once as an employee, it was in different bank. Once she found out that this person is asylum seeker and he doesn't speak English, she told me, uh, "What is your job?" Like and and then. I was a student in that time and uh, I was his neighbor. And uh, when she was telling me, you have to be a registered uh, uh, interpreter. You have to be official translator. Yeah. Like, like, uh, okay, can you sh show me legislation from the Central Bank of Ireland? Like, <laughs> <laughs> she did. Like or an official registered translator what what do you think i'm going to do make up like uh something else that they're saying you know that we're going to sit in the bank and she's going to say one thing and i'm just going to tell a story that she's not actually saying yeah and the man the man was so embarrassed like you know and yeah. uh, you know 
it was just kind of a, a, a bit exclusion. Uh, a few months later, thankfully, uh, Bank of Ireland announced that like we are opening. Despite it is just you don't even need to announce that this is something in EU directive payment. Just you know you yeah. have bank accounts for asylum seekers and the homeless. Yeah. This, but it you, you don't have to bring even uh, proof of address. This yeah. is just to pay to, to open basic uh, features uh, yeah. so thankfully like things are uh, improving uh, now hopefully it will get improved more and more for yeah. every human being uh, not just asylum seekers for homeless and any vulnerable community yeah absolutely absolutely listen i i could talk to you uh, lots more about that um it's really interesting and um in in terms of the the story that you've done um with the irish mirror uh on the housing emergency um and we're just going to listen to a clip now um for a few minutes of some of that documentary 125 cranes tower over dublin 78 of them in areas controlled by dublin city council each crane has a different purpose Some are renovating buildings, while others look to replace local heritage sites with new blocks. Many are constructing commercial offices for companies looking to relocate here. When you look at the construction that's going on, most of it is the high-end offices, large offices. It is, as I said, hotels, these short-stay apart hotels, tourism um, ones. It is not affordable homes, and it's not homes that people can buy, um, that people can live in, in terms of see a future long-term for themselves. And so the government has, has got this policy all wrong. And There's an acknowledgement of this by Dublin City Council. Their new development plan proposes that 40% of all large-scale developments should be for sale to homeowners, to people who need to buy a home. And they're trying to oppose the build-to-rent domination, which is basically what's happened now in Dublin. Most of the residential building that's going on in the Dublin City area is build-to-rent by investment funds, by institutional investor landlords. They're not homes for people, they're not affordable, um, they're not sustainable, they don't create communities. Um, and I think that it's it's very it's deeply worrying. They don't have you know huge green spaces, huge communal spaces, um, <laughs> I think things like swimming pools. You know, we don't build swimming pools, community swimming pools, you know, where are the spaces where people can actually live in this city? I think the city is, it, you know, it's clear it's losing its architectural heritage, its built environment, its, its scale. Like Dublin, Frank MacDonald writes about this, you know, Dublin is about scale, which means that Dublin is about the, the small, medium size it is. It's a small city. Um, and so, you know, people know, I've lived in this city for, you know, over 20 years. It's a, a city where you can meet people, you know, past them on the street it's it's a a city where you know the size of the buildings the old you know georgian heritage you know these matter to us the streetscape matters the way we look around the way we interact and i've noticed the difference i used to kind of love going into dublin you'd see some real characters like you know the women on grafton street who are selling the flowers and yet they're the same people that work in the city are, are kind of the lifeblood of it but cannot afford to live in the city anymore because i mean it's all hotels, it's all, you know, the 
sea corner or you know lovely glass buildings but there's got no character no personality anymore and that's it's gentrification and i think it's a it's a result of of yeah they're applying a business model to dublin you know instead of it being a place that you know is full of culture and character and um, that is a result of the rental and housing crisis people can't afford to live they're being pushed out to the suburbs and and the city then just becomes pretty to look at with glass windows but there's not much behind it then you know as those announcements are made and as government takes credit for Ireland being a country where businesses can thrive, housing is failing Ireland's current and forthcoming residents. According to new figures from the Department of Housing, Ireland faces a crisis that has seen 10,325 people registered as homeless. The reality is that that number underestimates the amount of people on Irish streets. We met Mohammed Mahmoud, who works for a tech company. For the past four months, he has been trying to find a home for his family, who he has been separate from for three years. Uh, now I'm, I'm, I'm in a position to bring my family to, to, uh, to stay with me here in Ireland. However, I'm in the journey of finding a proper place to accommodate my family. Uh, the marriage journey is a journey to find a place or the opportunity it's a chance to find a place it's not that easy I ha I have like loads of messages to send to landlords uh, and agencies to find a place the response is very 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 small very small very little response to get from them like maybe two three responses like of how many round how many as, as i said loads of of of, uh, of emails sent to the I, it's uncountable to be honest if i say hundreds i will be i, I, I will not be like uh, uh, uh over counting it's like uh, it's like more than 100 uh, uh, the response is very little, very, very little. Uh, I, I, I think it's it's a nightmare to find the proper place to find to to get to get your family to live with you. Okay, so we heard there just some of it, and it's really fascinating. Um, I think in terms of presenting, you know, some individual stories, but also your kind of analysis of what you're seeing in terms of cranes around Dublin. Um, and listen, what, what brought you to do this? Obviously, we <laughs> we discover, we, we talk, sorry, not school, we talk about this a lot on Reboot Republic, the, the housing emergency and housing crisis. But what brought you specifically to kind of go look at this? What Like, uh, what? What brought me to to this is what brought me to to do any um, like um, stories that touches the human being rights, mm. like especially like you know we are talking about just someone needs a, a roof on top of their heads, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I remember uh, when like in the three places i lived in um in limerick and cork and uh and dublin uh in limerick in that time uh, i i didn't know anyone and uh, i remember i had to stay in coffee shops for a couple of nights and uh it was it was tough experience uh how was I, that 
What, what, what do you mean you stayed in the coffee shop during the night? They're not closed. Yeah, no, there was coffee shop in petrol stations that was 24 hours open. So um, I had to stay in it because in that time I, I didn't know any person. I got my invert. But what, what did the person in the petrol station say? Did they say, oh, that's okay, you can sleep there? Or did you just stay but waking? Like, I just ordered something and they went and they just slept on the, <laughs> on the table. Like, you know, and they said nothing. You know? Yeah. So, wow. how, so, how did that make you feel doing that? You know, to be honest, I, um, that was, I didn't feel so bad because I had experienced something similar uh, before, so it's I don't feel like ashamed or yeah. I don't bad about it. It is something like you know, it is what's going on. There is no available rooms at all. And that time it was September 2019, uh, and I just got the university acceptance four days before the university starts. So, so four days before you were about to start your masters, you were sleeping in a coffee yeah in a petrol station i got i got the university acceptance because um the um yeah it was something also because of my my asylum background the the university uh admission officer didn't believe that i have the right to study and in that time like i wasn't even applying for a scholarship i was paying from my uh my own uh, uh, resources, uh, international fees, but she was telling me, <laughs> she was telling me to go back to Egypt to apply for student visa. <laughs> no <laughs> way, go back to Egypt to apply for student visa. Yeah, I remember, I remember John John Lennon from Dora. So when he saw that email, he was like, "What? <laughs> she doesn't even know the right. She doesn't understand the legislation and that." Uh, and uh, oh my God, it just he contacted her and he explained to her that we already have 16 asylum seekers at the University of Limerick. And uh, then, anyway, it like I got that uh, acceptance four days, and there was there was no single room available in Limerick in that time. I, imagine a, a city like Limerick, uh, just uh, which has two universities. Uh, like uh plus um uh, oh, lit uh, and uh, ul yeah mm. so um it was really difficult in daft everywhere you can't find a place and uh, i i know no person in in the city yeah uh, and then like um someone contacted me with someone who hosted me and who helped me to find a room so that this is how it work it actually so yeah uh, yeah that's yeah uh, incredible and of course we know there's living yeah, thousands it, of people in that situation yeah. across the country when i came like i had when i had the like luckily the people i work with they they give me the freedom to work in whatever object i want to cover mm. uh, Whatever subject I want to cover, and uh, and that, um, and that, I'm sorry, I just, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so 
luckily uh when i uh i got uh the job they they told me to work in whatever uh, i want to cover and you know like ireland uh, is a great nation with with a great uh, history um i have read about what happened here when the country got its freedom etc etc yeah how the people sacrificed and now the the country the country's economy is one of the strongest in europe um uh, but it is just you know uh, like you are talking about uh, extremely basic human rights like people you know just we we can't find a place to rent which yeah. we going to pay for that we we're not going to get it for free but people are even struggling to get this basic human so that attracted me to cover um, deeply that uh, that story uh, and um, i tried to to cover it uh, from different aspects that's why i contacted you uh, i contacted uh, like uh, i tried to to include uh, the people who supposed to be involved in in this so this is uh simply what like i see that what's going on like there is something wrong uh, yeah and and in terms of for yourself and looking into it and doing the documentary what kind of were things that struck you as you know that you didn't know before you went in you know what what kind of new things did you learn about it or kind of find out or what struck you okay what what i learned uh is the most of the things you told me especially you like i learned <laughs> from the interviews that i did with you honestly and uh, yeah i think uh everything that i added in the video <laughs> <laughs> well that's good to hear <laughs> okay aside from the stuff that i told you what, no, what else in terms of <laughs> that was the most informative uh interview i did in ireland honestly i'm not saying that i told you that when i met you but this yeah is, yeah oh well, now now you've left me i don't know what to say charming i swear this is this is uh that was the most informative uh interview i did so well, I, i'm delighted to hear that i, I will move quickly along and uh, while i try and get over my embarrassment and um the uh just okay so aside from what i <laughs> talked about for you what was interesting I, I for we what did you find out i was struck anyway the cranes thing that i, I thought was really interesting the way you went looking at you know how much cranes there are around dublin and you know what they're building and what they're not and i think that was definitely something that i found you know interesting and again hearing you know the personal stories as we showed there and i think there's such a power in that personal story of you know how people are literally as you say cannot you know find somewhere to rent and the state of the human um as we call it a human catastrophe a human emergency that's going on is just um and what did you get from the department what did the department of housing did they did they what did they say uh we were talking me and my colleague about it i, I would say um what i got i got from the department generally mainly i was looking for um the number of uh cranes number of I tried to get the number of the, the companies that got permission to build the new offices uh, in mm. 2022, uh, especially after Brexit. 
but mainly what I got uh, eventually is just the, the number of uh, the cranes and the purposes for it. Uh, that was from Dublin City Council. Uh, the department uh, itself, uh, we got basic, uh, you know, formal response. Yeah. Uh, that's they like usually to they send to to journalists, but it has the things that we added in the story about uh, the things that uh, many of of them are already seen in 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 media, like increasing supply of all types is the key to improving the housing market. Uh, market has a plan, housing for all, which sets us on uh, passes of developing 30,000 um, new homes between uh, now, uh, 300 uh, uh, houses between now and 2030, including 90,000 social homes, 36 affordable purchase homes, 18, thousand cost uh, rental homes you know this things they you know uh they so out in their press release which is just it's not meaningful in in any sense it's like all yeah yeah but we we have to add to balance you know yeah of course of course no absolutely that's that's what the, their intention is but unfortunately they're, they're not delivering it yet what were the figures again do you don't have the figures for the cranes again from dublin city council do you just to give our listeners a sense of what the cranes were actually doing okay so um the cranes in in dublin overall uh are uh, 125 in in dublin in the number of cranes in in areas that controlled by dublin city council are 72 yeah added it in the video uh people can check it what each crane are doing but i noticed here uh most of it are uh, like for commercial purposes uh like not not for even like uh building residential places etc etc so this is what i noticed from uh let me bring it here yeah then most of the cranes are for offices or hotels or yeah the short stay apart hotels or yeah as you mentioned exactly yeah yeah um so you see uh telecom upgrade dismantling tower crane uh placing of uh gantry steel work um uh, you know erect steel frame life container uh, lift container uh lift cabin uh remove glass for like for tech company yeah yeah so it's it's a lot of that that's the point that the cranes are not actually building residential which is it's part of part of the issue um, that we're not building homes in Dublin, and it, and it is a big a big problem. And those ones that are being built are the build to rent investor all rent at a possibly expensive um, prices. So in terms of uh, you were talking about the prices of cranes itself. No, or? no, 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 no. I, I was no, no. I just meant the um, what the cranes were actually doing in terms uh, of you know you know building. 
Um, but listen, um, it's great that the the Irish Mirror has um supported you know, you and giving you and your colleagues the freedom, you know, to do that investigative journalism. It's so, so important. So you have part two is coming out when? Is that out? This Friday. Uh, part three is a Friday after. Then uh, part four, uh, we are doing, um, yeah, it uh, of four episodes. Yeah. Uh, so I think, he, he, you know, you see, you notice this, like the huge amount of effort. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, because we are creating it from the scratch. Every footage you have seen, uh, we have. So you've you've created the whole and and the, the the video itself in each in each one is about fifteen minutes long. Is that right? That one, the first one is twelve, and the, the rest are twelve for each. Twelve, twelve minutes each, so you can you can watch them and the, and the, you know it's great to see that doing that documentary and and so you actually shot that yourselves in terms of created that footage and. Yeah, yeah, and even the graphic of the the Google Earth, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, we do it from the scratch. So okay, and in terms of what's the the kind of the things you're dealing with in the coming episodes, could you give us a sense? Of uh, those uh, this Friday's um, the Friday's episode about the homeless. Uh, we have filmed with people in the street and. Uh, People like craft homeless and uh, and the homeless, uh, f- like from the the homelessness community of uh, emergency accommodation, uh, yeah. the who live uh, in the emergency accommodation uh, to balance uh, the peace. Why these people there and why these people here and. Uh, uh, from NGO like uh, which is Focus Ireland, uh, and uh, this mainly gonna be um, plus like some TDs are involved, um, plus the government response. So you know to give uh, a balance to the story, uh, but mainly it is based on the people, uh, you know the the people who like. We, we call it in Egypt the heroes of, of the story as uh, the vulnerable people who like who are struggling to find the place uh, yeah. The yeah yeah okay okay and then do you know in terms of the third one third and fourth then what are what are they covering okay uh, third will be about the dereliction and, oh yeah dereliction yeah yeah and fourth it is uh, <laughs> about the squatting <laughs> Oh yeah, squatting. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. So the good thing um, we have filmed inside the uh, squatting uh, place uh, to see how they live, and I, I don't think there is any Irish media have covered that before. So yeah, very good. So we filmed inside. Uh, we did some uh, good interviews with interesting people. So to see what is the reason uh, for for that. And uh, that's that's it so far. Uh, we might extend to do more stories. Um, I'm trying to contact uh, people <clears throat> uh, from um, from the travelers the community uh, yeah. to do a big piece about uh, about them because since I have learned that they are struggling to find uh, rental places, etc., etc. So. I think uh, it would be great to cover a story. 
Absolutely, yeah, yeah. We can put you in touch with some um in terms of their organizations that we would we would be linking in with. Um, and that's very important, absolutely part of a long historical exclusion um and systemic racism and discrimination has been towards travelers in Ireland. Um, yeah, that would be we could be great to cover that as well. Um, that's great. Well, listen, Mustafa, that's really interesting. And um, I suppose it's, it's in, you know, in terms of you and how you see Ireland now, do you see Ireland as somewhere you'll stay or do you I want like, to stay here? And it is my, it is my home uh, now <clears throat> and my cat's home. And uh... <laughs> what's the cat's name? Wasim. Wasim. Very yeah. good. Very... Yeah. One second. Come on, you have to show me Wasim there. Unfortunately, yeah. listeners won't be able to see it, but holy moly, it's a big cat. No, he's a big cat, not so big. That's a big cat. It's a it's a golden, it's it's a marmalade, um, like Garfield. Yeah. <laughs> a white, a white, a white and orange, a red Garfield. Well, in comparison yeah. to my cat, my it's about twice the size of my cat. <laughs> you yeah. must be feeding it very well. <laughs> so this is a great place for me um like uh and even like you know since i can't go back to my country at the moment uh my mom is coming after three years and half of not seeing her she's coming next next two months so oh lovely yeah so i'm looking and what's for her name my mom's name yeah fatma well we can give her a shout out okay because i'm sure you'll send the podcast over to her okay. So, <laughs> okay. very good very good and uh, yeah, so you're saying Ireland is home now for you? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and I think life is, is great here. I meet uh, really amazing people uh, like you, for example. <laughs> and, oh, you charmer, get out of it. <laughs> oh, no, honestly. And uh, I have created some good friends, uh, some great friends here. Uh, like, uh, I know my, my CV is, is great, but I, I find job easily here. Uh, good, but, good. Uh, so just, um, I, <clears throat> I studied, uh, here. I learned a lot uh, through my masters. Uh, so it is, uh, it is a great place, uh, to stay just, uh, hopefully, uh, a situation like housing situation, this is small things will get sorted. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it is a great country. Uh, and yeah. Sorry, go on. No, I was just going to mention something small. I, I said this small things, I, I believe it is a huge issue, but it is, I believe it is a small to get sorted. But yeah. I, from what I see in my documentary, some people don't want to sort it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's part of the problem. Yeah, we need people who actually want to really sort it. Yeah, yeah. So God, you was going to say something. I no, no, no. I was just going to say that it is a great country in so many ways, you know. And it's you know there are these things that uh, we are a work in progress. That's the way I see it, and we have made huge progress in recent decades, but. There are issues, you know, the housing is obviously one of the major, major issues that we have. Our governments have utterly failed. Um, and if we provided people, um, both the Irish, new Irish and migrants, asylum seekers, you know, homes, then we could be a fantastic country. And, uh, you know, I think that's that's what we're aiming for. 
yeah, hopefully things will get better. It is fantastic entry, uh, but yeah, small things will will get sorted. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll keep on raising it and keep on profiling it. So, listen, thank you so much uh, for joining me today in Reboot Republic, Mustafa. It was great to chat to you. Thanks for having me, Rory. I appreciate uh, that, and I yeah. hope for you. Yeah, thank you. And as I said, I'll have to get such a great charmer back on again. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, best of luck with the documentary and people can check it out on the Irish Mirror um, newspaper and website. That's it. Very good. Very good. Well, listen, uh, listeners, I really hope you enjoyed that. And um, as I said, you can check out the documentary on the housing emergency on the Irish Mirror newspaper and website and Mustafa Darwish on Twitter. And also, again, we um, always thank our patrons who support us in this podcast Reboot Republic. It is a completely independent podcast produced by Tony Groves, Tortoise Shack Media. Um, and we completely rely on our listeners to support us in terms of the cost of hosting, the production um, of the podcast. So if you can, please go over to patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack, sign up for whatever you can each month, uh, five euro, two euro, 10 euro. Uh, we know it's very, very tough out there at the moment, but if you can help us to keep this show on the road, we know you value the podcast and also it's been great to see the um, comments on the podcast on social media, Twitter uh, and Instagram. Really appreciate that. It spreads the podcast around. People get to hear them. Um, and as we say, we are a, a education, a movement um, as much as we are uh, politics and social issues and equality podcast and stories of hope. Um, so let's keep this going. Thank you so much. Uh, share it around please if you can become a patron and we'll talk to you all very soon